Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. It is time now for Around the World, and uh, I'm very happy to welcome Jonathan de Burke Butler with us into the studio. Jonathan, how are you, you today? Well. Good, thanks. Ever tried to talk a rat down from the attic? Uh, never had a rat in my attic, thankfully, so far. It's all ahead of you. <laughs> um, so you're starting off, I, I, I'm looking down on your list, you have a few countries, I, and you always have a few countries I've never heard of, but today are, you have a few absolutely beauties. But you're starting with Myanmar. Yeah, What's going on? Yeah, we've got to start in Myanmar. Um, so you know that there was a military coup there. It's been well covered, actually, has to be said. Uh, it was February the 1st, uh, basically, Aung San Suu Kyi and her party um, won a landslide victory. The military junta weren't particularly happy about that because the uh, they were supporting the opposition. And I suppose it's interesting because it, it might indicate how much pressure she has been under over the last few years, you know, uh, from the military uh, junta. There's a lot of, there's been a lot of bad press around her, I suppose, around the Rohingya, this, that and the other. But as we often said on this show when we were talking about her, uh, we often wondered you know, who was really okay. ruling the country there, right? So anyway, she's in prison, languishing in jail, and the military junta has released just over 2,000 prisoners. They did it last Wednesday, okay? The focal point of the, I suppose, if you want to call it a kind of a press release from the junta's point of view, was a prison in Yangon, which is not the capital, but it's the biggest city in, in Myanmar. And uh, it, it centred around a prison called Insen Prison, right? So if, if, you, if you look at pictures, if you've ever seen pictures of Insen Prison, it's, it's really quite a dominant architectural structure in the city, right? It looks like a bit like the Millennium Falcon has landed in the middle oh, of the yeah. city, right? So it's it's a very interesting building. But from there, 700 people were released and then a, a, a press release was, was later issued by the military junta saying that they had released uh, 2,296 prisoners. Oh. Now, they said that most of these prisoners were not involved in leading roles in the protests that uh, arose as a result of the, the military junta taking over and most of the participants were not involved in violent acts. Okay, so on what it looks like, it's a goodwill gesture. It's it's kind of dark and it's this, more cynical than that, isn't it? This is the thing. So you might be saying to yourself when you look at the headline, great, this is great news. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're letting people go. But observers are basically saying that the reason they're letting go people go is to make room for more people to come in. Mm-hmm. And there are... Uh, you know, reports of torture and various different terrible things going on in this particular prison and prisons throughout the country. So there has been nearly six and a half thousand people detained since the coup in in, in February. We've all seen pictures from BBC, RT, various different uh, channels um, of some of the violence that has been used against these. And the, and the, and these are you know for the most part you know, peaceful protesters. You know, it might be celebrities. Doctors have been stopped. You know, again, there's, again, we've seen lots of pictures of doctors in the middle of, you know, um, looking after protesters who were injured, being arrested and, and being thrown in, in, in prison and the like. Um, so it's fairly vicious and in, they are a vicious crew. They're very intimidating, aren't they? They, they really, I mean, even letting these out probably go and tell tales of how horrible it yeah. would be to be arrested and yeah, then the fear point. that now there's more room yeah. on top of that and they're very clear too and when they threaten journalists aren't they yeah yeah absolutely i mean they're they're they're, they're saying that they're you're not to basically call us the junta anymore uh, i don't know what they want them to refer 
to be referred as. Um, but you know, they're 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 very clear that you know even foreign journalists who are caught in the country will be arrested and will be will be thrown in jail. Right. Yeah. You wonder how people would work uh, on car. They're very brave people to take oh, the God. streets, aren't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. in uh, Myanmar and uh, in China. I found this story. I don't know. I just I, I just never envisioned in China that the Chinese audiences would would stop buying products that you know because. The, the people who make them from critical of their government. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, it, it, I think it's more to do with the fact that the Chinese government uh, have sort of encouraged their citizens to boycott the product, really. Um, so this is in is H&M and I suppose to a smaller degree Nike as well. So back in March, I think of this year, would, would that make sense? Where are we now? June? This July. is July. We're, We're in July, July now. Very good. Yeah. Uh, yes. So, so March of this year it was, I think. H uh, and M and Nike issued a statement, basically saying that they were concerned uh, about rumours, which are a lot more than rumours. I think yes, they're fairly substantiated that um, wiggers were being forced in uh, to uh, pick cotton to produce cotton that were then being used in their factories uh, that that supplied them factories in china that supplies them right so they, they they weren't particularly happy about that they issued this statement and almost straight away there was a backlash so there were chinese celebrities who used to advocate and promote h&m products uh various different e-commerce platforms uh and brand ambassadors who basically dropped h&m altogether and the the upshot of that is that profits or at least sales, I should say, not profit. Sales in China have gone down by twenty three percent this quarter in Q two, uh, in in compared to their Q two sales last year in China. So that's quite significant. All right, right. Not that they are necessarily worried. I mean, overall, their their global sales yeah. have increased and they've done very well. Um, and when asked for a statement, they're basically saying, "Look, we've made our comments on this already." We're not going to say any more. Okay. Um, it, it's a position they were well able to afford to take, though, isn't it, basically? I think it was. I mean, uh, I think the, only 5% of their sales are made up in China. But that said, it's still a fairly significant market. And I suppose the growth capacity really is what they'd be looking at. I mean, I suppose it's 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 an, it should. I, I, I'm guessing here now, but I would imagine it's a relatively new market for them. And uh, what a market as well. Yeah, absolutely. Should you get it right? Yeah, well, like, um, and, you know, a major expanding middle class and people yeah. with money to spend. So, yeah, absolutely. And Nike are involved as well. They are. Um, I think they came out with, with a similar sort of statement saying that they were concerned about, um, you know, things that were going on around these labour camps. Um, but they've come out since and basically made comments basically saying that Nike is a brand that is of China and for China and this kind of thing. And and they're both kind of saying that they want to repair the relationship with their Chinese customers that has been broken as a result of this. Now, whether that is them backing down on what they've said, yeah, uh, I don't know. But uh, it, it, it feels a little bit like a climb down. But then again, yeah. Um, you have to say, uh, we said that H&M can afford to make this point. Nike, uh, their profits uh, more than doubled to a better than expected 12.3 billion. billion for three months to the end of March. Quite something, isn't it? 12.3 oh, billion dollars. You wouldn't mind that. No. Um, yeah. God, so, some companies have done 
very well <laughs> sure have. during yeah, COVID, haven't they just? They have. uh, you're heading over now, this is one of the first places in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but it's a part of that country that I've never heard of before. And this is North Kivu, is it? Yeah, so this is North Kivu. It's a province, I mean, the Democratic Republic of the Congo is massive. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's, what, three and a half times the size of France or something, maybe even more, right? So um, it's, it. you could argue it shouldn't really be a country in many respects. It's that big and it's so diverse. But anyway, that's that's another discussion. This particular province, North Kivu, is in the eastern part of the country, right? And it borders Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, where there's been a lot of trouble over the years. And an awful lot of that trouble has um, filtered into the Democratic Republic of the Congo and this particular part of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, right? So the the headline in this particular story is that 10 people were killed on Wednesday night in the town or in the outskirts of the town of Beni, which when I say town, it has a quarter of a million people in it. But anyway, Beni in, in as you said, North Kivu, right? The attack, it was a massacre, was carried out by a group called the Allied Democratic Forces. All right, now okay. they originated in Uganda in the early 1990s. They were made up of lots of different groups who were unhappy with various different aspects of of Uweri Museveni in Uganda. Um, They kind of fought for a long time in the 90s. They went away and now they've come back. But the problem is about three years ago, there was a split in that organisation when their leader was arrested and thrown in jail. That was back in 2015. And the new chap who's taken over is more ideological, shall we say. Okay. All right. He is a... Uh, he's a Muslim militant, basically, All right. uh, looking for a, an Islamic state of sort. And he has tied himself to that particular organization. Right. So that is the worry here uh, in this particular case. I mean, this is one of many attacks that have been launched in recent months in this part of the world by this particular organization. Um, and uh, the worry is that it gets worse and it gets out of control. Um, it must be horrific. And the, the, the local residents shocked and angered and... Uh, marching with the body of one of the victims. Yeah, they marched through the town with the body of one of the victims and, and they're they're annoyed because the president, uh, f- relatively recently elected Felix Chikedi, has, has declared a state of emergency. He said that they're going to send the troops in there to sort things out. Um, but they haven't, clearly, or at least not to the satisfaction of locals. And the problem is that because you've got pockets of... It's the classic scenario. It's a classic... Islamic State thing to do, go into an area where the government, where there's a bit of a vacuum and cause division amongst Mm -hmm. religious groups or ethnic groups and from there basically bring in uh, troops to to, to fight on your behalf. Attack them. Um, The country that I'd never heard of before, Eswatani. Yes, and and, uh, yeah, that's that's it. I think it's it's Eswatini. Thank you very much. The reason you haven't heard of it is because it's only recently changed its name. I think it was about two years ago. It used to be Swaziland, oh, which right. you've definitely heard of. I've heard of Swaziland. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, indeed. And the king of Swaziland is a man by the name of King Maswati III, right? He's been in place since 1986, all right? He He's is, an actual king. He is an actual king. He is the most absolute monarch you could uh, think of. He's not just there on money and stamps. Oh, no, he's not. He He, rules. He he does. And and the problem with that is he doesn't let anybody else rule. And um, that is the problem that the people in his particular kingdom, it sounds so strange, doesn't it, to say that word in this day and age, kingdom, are having with them at the moment. And they are out and protesting. So they are looking for democratic reforms and they're looking for the removal of bans on opposition parties. He doesn't allow, his government 
he's not elected, it's appointed, right? And it's been like that since the mid-1970s when his father was in place. This guy has 15 wives yeah. and 100 children. Or this over man has the children. lifestyle that goes with being the king <laughs> of your own country. <laughs> he sure does. 15 wives. Did you say 100 children? Yeah, something around 100 children at the last count. I wouldn't say he's very hands-on with them. You know that. I would have thought he. I didn't. I wouldn't have thought he is. Yeah, because yeah. that wouldn't leave you much time if you're ruling, ruling a country. No, it wouldn't. And he's a very busy man uh, with lots of parties to go to and monies to spend. Although he yeah. does apparently spend a lot of money on his wives and, uh, and have his to. children. He, you would keep them happy, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, yeah. Right. Good luck with that. We said <laughs> right. Um, meanwhile, in Greece, this this kind of surprised me. Golden Dawn um, deputy leader arrested, but the idea that Golden Dawn is still active. Uh, yeah, is it, it is, but it's not as popular as it used to be. And I tell you, the powers that be in Greece are trying their best to get rid of them. So the, the Golden Dawn, after the, their crash, which was the same as our crash, I suppose, in 2012, they became quite popular, right? Uh, I think they won 18 seats in Greek Parliament back then, right, around 2012. So that was the peak of their powers. They've been around since the 1990s or maybe the mid-80s. Anyway, around that time. And... Um, in more recent years, I think in 2015, a trial began against them, which basically resulted in over 50 of them, okay, 50 members of Golden Dawn being convicted, okay, on various different charges, criminal organisation, murder, assault, all sorts of different things. Vicious guys, right? These are guys who used to organise attacks on uh, refugee camps. You remember when the crisis was was, yeah. was at its peak a couple of years ago. Um, and when he was when he was sentenced... He managed to escape somehow, right? So he, he's been on the run since October. But last week he was arrested, living in an apartment under another name in Athens, would you believe? Uh, he was arrested and um, he will probably now go and serve his 13 years in jail or right. at least part of it. Uh, you mentioned their support was waning. They won 18 seats mm-hmm. in Greek Parliament back in the, the nadir of the Greek mm-hmm. financial crisis but of late uh, failed to win a single seat in 2019. Yeah, 2019, right, yeah, good. yeah. Tide moving away from them. Now, I'm going to go to the story next um, about Berlin and how it's dealing with its property, uh, which is a really, really great story. But just a few your text on China. It's probably fear rather than choice, Tom, if an authoritarian regime tells you H&M is bad, you're not going to be walking the streets with H&M written on your T-shirt. That is very true, Connor. Um, are the Chinese not mainly hurting themselves as most Nike and H&M products are made in China. You do get the impression there's a bit of posturing on both sides there, don't you? Yeah, there is, but it's just that H&M won't get away with having their cotton made by people okay. who are in prison camps. So yeah. they're, they're right. Like, I'm not really yeah. one to give my opinion, but in this one I am. They're right. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jonathan is dead right. Um, the Democratic Republic of the Congo shouldn't be a country. That's the issue with so many former colonies. You can't just draw a line and say, you lads are all the same now and expect that to work. But the imperial powers just want it out and to be done with it. That is very true. But over to Berlin. And in Berlin, they have had a property uh, crisis similar in ways to ours and they were once regarded as the golden mm. uh, pupil really weren't they in, yeah, in terms yeah of absolutely you yeah. talked about rents in Berlin and no problems in yeah. Berlin and all this kind of thing yeah. so what had happened so the city has about three and a half million residents right and 80% of them rent their homes but houses weren't being built so it was a great place for investors uh, to come in and buy up 
properties. Wow. So far, so familiar. Yeah, so yeah. familiar. Uh, and they went up, the the houses, the, the, the lack of housing sent prices up by 85% between 2007 and 2019, right? So Berlin city state government moved to freeze the rents for five years in 2020, but it was blocked by the federal constitution court who basically said that the the move was illegal. Okay, that was done in April, right? So people were getting annoyed, as you can imagine. So a group of people called, calling themselves the Expropriate Deutsche Wohnen and Co. Initiative, and I'll explain a bit about that in a minute. They got together a petition which gathered over 183,000 signatures, right? They only needed 172,000 or 170,000. And so what that means is they basically have to put what this particular group want to a vote and what okay. they want is they want companies that hold over or have over 3,000 apartments or homes on their portfolios to basically be forced to sell them to the city okay. so the city can then own them and rent them so out. So they, they're, they're calling a, a referendum that's mm. actually going to happen which is going to force these huge companies that own properties left, right and centre through Berlin to sell them to people. Yes, or to, at least as f- from what I can gather is they're going to sell them to the city-state and then the city-state will rent them out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. I heard suggestions of that uh, on the Pat Ken show last, last yeah. week for this, for this yeah, country. Indeed. Um, so yeah. that's not, I don't think that's and, a good and, idea. And, what's, and the reason it's been called the, the, the expropriate Deutsche Wohnen and Co. is because Deutsche Wohnen and Co. are a company that own over 110,000 properties yeah. in Berlin, right? And they just merged with another company and so it's it's okay. through the roof, if you'll excuse the point. See, it seems like a, a really good idea on, on the face of it that, that uh, properties will be freed up. For, yeah. For uh, I, it, yes. It, it, not everybody agrees with it. Uh, right. As you can imagine, the, the, the people who own the properties don't yeah. agree with it uh, because they're seeing their investment. The, the city's social democratic mayor, Michael Mueller, has also said that the referendum isn't the best idea because he'd prefer partnerships with the private sector to develop more housing. So, you know, coming from a social democrat, I mean, I think that's slightly bizarre. But anyway, there you go. All right. You have to say watch this space because um, as a city that that has suddenly gotten a a property crisis similar to our own, see how they're dealing with it at the very least. Absolutely. But what's interesting, Tom, I know we're a bit short in time, but can I say one more thing about this? Is the basis of their claim is an article in the German constitution which basically stipulates that land, natural resources and means of productions may be transferred to public ownership. So that's what they're basing it on. Right. Which I think is an interesting sort of take. It's kind of like a compulsory purchase of of sorts. I I wonder if we've anything similar in our constitution. I think I might do it. Um, (laughs) Meanwhile, in the Ukraine... Yes, uh, New York is getting its old name back. Uh, So this is Ukraine's parliament on Thursday backed a decision to rename a Ukrainian town to New York, right? So this is called Norov... I knew I was going to get this wrong. I'm glad you're trying it. Novgorodsky, okay, in eastern Donetsk region, thanks. Okay, and they campaigned for years to get its old name back, right? So, so, So for very obvious reasons, and this is done throughout... Uh, former countries of the, the Soviet Union where they try and drop names. They want the old name back because they don't want it to be associated with Russia anymore or the USSR, right? So that's exactly what they're doing. So while it sounds like a perfect and finally story, and it is very much that, there is a heavy political 
you know um, theme to it as well you know um, so they've backed it so New York now is a place to visit in Donetsk uh, in the Ukraine uh, that you'll be able to you'll be able to do that you have to say for the Soviets to be going in and giving it as Russian sounding a name as possible and then the Ukrainians going in and giving it as Western sounding yes, a name as possible it's quite something it's certainly it's, making it's, the it's point isn't because it? the original name was actually New York would yes. you believe um, so, but so even that that was after the, the real New York wasn't it because it was an American involved it in was. naming it yeah, yeah, very yeah, good yeah. fascinating as always uh, Chanton, thank you very much Thanks for that, Chanton, to work with both there. Coming up after the break, what is your dream job? Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.